0: Legends of the Saints, Righteous Among the Gentiles, by Paul Fox, read by Xavier LaFosse. The city of Lincoln was abuzz that chill November morning in the year of our Lord 1200. First, there had been the arrival of the king's courier from London, riding in haste to the castle, and from there to the deanery beside the great cathedral that stood opposite the castle gates. An anxious crowd was already forming in the square between the two grand edifices when the long, slow tolling of a single bell let the townspeople know that someone of importance to the kingdom had died. Not long after the last stroke of the death knell had died away, a lad of 11 or 12 years separated himself from the crowd and made his way quietly down into the Jewish quarter, just below the looming walls of the castle. Benedict Crespin, for such was the boy's name, could more easily circulate unnoticed among the Gentile population than his uncle Abraham or any of his adult relatives. He was often sent to listen for any rumors of potential trouble for the Jews, for trouble was never far from them. A plague, a famine, a missing child, an unexpected death, any misfortune, real or imagined, could be blamed on them and lead to rioting, pillage, and murder. Taking care not to be seen by any passing Gentile, Benedict quietly entered the substantial stone structure that housed both his uncle's family and his business, a building known in Lincoln simply as the Jew's House. He walked swiftly through the ground floor rooms where the family's business was transacted and mounted the stair to the living quarters. From one of the rooms, he heard the low buzz of men's voices, and after knocking, entered. He found the room filled with men whom Benedict recognized as the most prominent in the Jewish quarter, his uncle Abraham, of course, but also his uncle's brothers, Rabbi Moses, and a number of others, all gravely conversing in low and anxious tones. From the adjoining room, A higher-pitched buzz of conversation told Benedict that the wives of these men had also come to the house of Aaron to await the news. Who has died? Is it the king? Has King John died? The anxiety in Abraham's voice was unmistakable. The bells announcing the death of some important man had been heard and understood by all present If the coronation of King Richard a decade ago had triggered the anti-Jewish riots in London, how much more might the death of King John be used as a pretext for more such riots? No, uncle, not the king, Benedict replied, feeling himself to be the bearer of good news. It is only the bishop, the man they call Hugh of Avalon. He has died of a fever while on business in London. No one blames us for his death but the expression on Abraham's face at these words was not one of relief. He stepped back as though he had been struck, and his face seemed almost to collapse on itself. Looking around him, Benedict saw similarly stricken expressions on all the men in the room. An involuntary, almost inaudible moan escaped from Abraham's lips. One of the men stepped into the adjoining room to deliver the news to the women assembled there, And Benedict heard a strangled cry, followed by many wailing voices. For the rest of that short November day, the house was the scene of countless comings and goings. Those in the Jewish quarter who had not been there in the morning when the news was announced came in later, singly or in small groups, to confer in low tones with Abraham or one of his brothers. All looked very grave and some, to Benedict's eyes, actually stricken. Benedict, not being a grown man, was not party to these conversations, but as he went about his own usual tasks, he took in as much as he could in passing, trying to glean from snatches of conversation some comprehension of what was happening. Late in the afternoon, an official from the castle came to call, spoke briefly with Abraham at the door of the house, and left. Abraham walked back into the house with apparent relief in his face and bearing. He stopped briefly to speak to Benedict, before moving on to speak to his brothers. "'It is as you have said, Benedict,' Abraham said. "'The officer came both to offer protection to the king's Jews in case of need, and to tell me that there appears to be no need at present.' no one is raising the rabble against us. Then Abraham moved on. Finally, the daylight outside waned, the business was closed, though little actual business had been transacted that day, and the stream of anxious information seekers ended. Only Abraham's brothers remained. Their wives had long since departed to attend to their children, but Benedict's uncles, Vivas and Elias, stayed for supper." The meal was simple, short, and uncharacteristically quiet, with none of the good-natured, quick-witted banter that was usual when Abraham's brothers were present. Aunt Henna and her daughters cleared away the dishes and vanished into the kitchen. Abraham and his brothers remained, sipping out their glasses of wine, each thinking his own brooding thoughts. When the silence had dragged on for what seemed like hours, Benedict could stand it no longer. Uncles, he began, with respect, I do not understand. All three men looked up, startled. Whether it was that they had forgotten that Benedict was there, or that they were surprised that the boy would be so rash as to speak without first being spoken to, Benedict could not tell, though he did not sense that they were angry with him. At last, Abraham responded, Speak, nephew, and tell us what it is you do not understand. You are almost a man now, and the times may demand you become a man even before you are of age. So you may speak plainly, and my brothers and I will answer you as men to a man. Abraham looked at his brothers, who all nodded their agreement. Uncles, Benedict continued, trying to choose his words carefully, hoping to live up to his temporary standing as a man among men, I have been surprised to see that the news of the bishop's death has been received with such sorrow by our people. This man was not only a Christian, he was the leader of all the Christians in Lincolnshire. It would seem that such a man would be the chief among our enemies, even more than the king. So long as we are not blamed for his death, what does it matter that this man has died? Perhaps we could feign grief when among the Gentiles, but among ourselves, why such mourning? Neither Abraham nor his brothers made any immediate reply, and Benedict began to worry that he had offended them by his frankness, even though it had been invited. Again, it was Abraham who broke the silence. My nephew, Abraham said, and his voice was filled with kindness and with sorrow. You ask well, and I do not reproach you for it. Rather, I reproach myself that you must ask, for it shows that I have neglected to teach you fully what it means to be a Jew in Lincoln and what Bishop Hugh has meant to us. Abraham again looked to his brothers, who nodded their support. He sighed, drew a breath, and went on. You know, of course, the fate that befell your own parents and all the Jews of York. As though reciting a well-learned lesson, Benedict replied, A Gentile who owed a large sum to our family's business stirred up the rabble of York, telling lies about our agent there. Abraham nodded. Uncle Vivas spoke for the first time. Already there had been riots against the Jews in London after Richard's coronation, and that whetted the appetites of the Gentiles in every city for more such riots. Benedict continued, As was usual in such circumstances, the king's officers invited the Jews of York to take refuge in the castle, and all fled there for shelter. All but you, Benedict, Abraham added. I do not know what presentiment moved your mother, Rebecca, to send you to us in haste, but you are the only Jew of York still living today. All this was known to Benedict, of course. Indeed, the weight of that knowledge had given him a sense of gravity beyond his years. Because, Benedict finished the tale, when the rabble of York surrounded the castle, baying for Jewish blood, the garrison sided with them and the king's officers abandoned the Jews in Clifford's Tower. The leaders of the mob called out to them that they must either convert or be killed. Our people, here Benedict faltered a little, knowing that his own father, mother, and older siblings were among those trapped in the tower. Our people held out as long as they could, hoping that somehow help would arrive from the king but no help came. In the end, here Benedict broke off. He could not bear to complete the sentence. His uncle Elias continued for him, almost as though reciting scripture. In the end, all of them embraced death, rather than any should prove to be a traitor to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they were faithful to the end like Miriam and her seven sons before Antiochus the tyrant like the heroes of Masada again a profound silence settled on the room as each of the four men thought of the sisters the brothers the nieces and nephews the friends that had perished at York while benedict thought of the family he had lost there before he had been old enough to remember their faces Abraham spoke up once again. All this is well known to you, he said, but in our bitter sorrow for our brethren in York, we have not spoken much of our own lot. He turned his gaze on Benedict. While the Jews were being destroyed in York, and while the mobs pillaged the Jews of London, what do you think befell the Jews of Lincoln? Benedict was startled to realize that he did not know. He had never even thought to ask what now seems such an obvious question. The Jews of London had suffered greatly, and the Jews of York had been extinguished. But of the history of the Jews of Lincoln, Benedict knew nothing. Abraham saw the question in Benedict's eyes. Our fate could well have been that of the Jews of York, Abraham went on, for the same evil slanders and the same lust for blood and plunder that had moved the rabble in York were at work in Lincoln as well. The mood grew steadily uglier and the insults louder until finally the king's officers advised us that the Jews of Lincoln would do well to place ourselves under their protection. And so, just as in York, we gathered our families and what possessions we could and entered the castle. And just as in York, the rabble in Lincoln gathered threateningly outside egged on by wealthy men who were indebted to Jewish moneylenders and who hoped that our deaths would cancel all debts. It was not long before the castle garrison began to murmur among themselves. No doubt they wondered why they should risk their own necks to save ours. No doubt they also bethought themselves of the possessions we had brought with us into the castle and how easily they could make them their own once we were dead. From the tower in which we were enclosed, we could look out onto the square in front of the castle gates. We watched as the crowd grew ever larger, ever angrier, ever louder. There were peasants armed with pikes, there were knights and nobles armed with swords. There were townspeople brandishing torches. All were shouting, shouting for our blood and for our unwilling conversion. The men among us began consulting what we would do if our defenses should fail. Had that happened, the Jews of Lincoln would have perished as the Jews of York, for so we had resolved. As Benedict listened, It was as though an abyss had opened at his feet. He himself, as an infant, had been brought to his uncle in Lincoln to escape the fate of the Jews in York. Yet he might have perished in Lincoln Castle, if not for what? Abraham continued. Then, as things looked darkest, we noticed a sudden change in the crowd. The shouting died down. "'and we saw that the mob was parting to make way for a man "'who was striding alone from the cathedral to the castle gate. "'He was dressed in white, and in his hand "'he had a staff like a shepherd's crook, though richly embellished. "'We knew him, of course. "'We, of the House of Aaron. it was the Bishop of Lincoln, "'Hugh of Avalon, appointed but three years before. "'We knew him not as a bishop, but as a debtor, for he had borrowed great sums from our father Aaron in order to renovate the cathedral. All that magnificence of the temple of the Christians was created using the wealth of the Jews, broke in Uncle Vivas. Indeed it was, Abraham replied, and for that reason it was with great dread that we saw the bishop arrive on the scene, for he knew, as every wealthy debtor knew, that upon the death of any Jewish moneylender, the debts would be owned by the king, and that the king, always in need of funds, would gladly settle the debt for an immediate payment of a sum far less than what was owed. Benedict had not known this. It took but a moment for him to understand the implication. Then if the Jews of Lincoln had perished, the bishop stood to save a great deal of money, an enormous amount, his uncle agreed, small wonder that his arrival gave us great anxiety. For what hope for us if the bishop incited the mob against us still further, or called upon the garrison to yield? And so we watched and waited. When Bishop Hugh arrived at the gate, he turned and faced the mob and began to speak to them. What he said, we never knew. We could hear his voice in the distance, and it seemed to have a note of authority in it and something else. I know not what, sorrow, pleading, strain our ears though we might, we could not discern the words at that distance, but the sound of his voice made us feel that perhaps all was not lost. To our wonderment, we could see that the mob was listening and becoming less a rabble and more a congregation. Pikes were lowered, swords were sheathed, torches were extinguished, and when the bishop stopped speaking, the crowd began to melt away quietly, heads lowered, almost as if ashamed they had gathered at all. The crisis was over. After some time, the governor of the castle came and conveyed to us the bishops' assurance that it was safe for us to return to our homes. The governor himself seemed to be a little dazed by what had happened. Scarcely daring to believe it, we gathered our families and our belongings, walked out of the castle gate, and made our way home to the Jewish quarter. Few of the Gentiles were about, and none taunted or molested us. Arriving in the quarter, we found to our amazement that even our homes and businesses had been spared. It seemed a miracle to us. Uncle Elias cried. We felt like the children of Israel after passing through the Red Sea. Nor does the tale end there, Abraham said. For Bishop Hugh faced down another such mob in Holland in town, not thirty miles from here, and our brethren there were likewise spared. Uncle Vivas spoke again. Nor did the bishop ever ask anything of us in repayment for his deeds. Indeed he did not, returned Abraham, and he continued to faithfully pay what he owed to our father Aaron until the day of Aaron's death. Benedict considered all this quietly. Then he asked, but could the Almighty use a Gentile to work miracles? His uncle Abraham finally smiled. Did not Cyrus the Persian return the Jews to Jerusalem? The Holy One, blessed be he, may even use a Gentile tyrant to do his mighty works. But the bishop, Hugh of Avalon, though a Gentile, was a righteous man. Besides defending us in our time of need, he also defended the common folk of Lincoln from the abuses of the nobility. He dared to oppose the king himself at times. No, truly, Hugh of Avalon was the faithful servant of the one true God. And alas for us Jews... He is now taken from us. And Benedict, understanding at last, also mourned from his heart for Bishop Hugh. Used by We Are One Body Audio Theater with the permission of the licensor granted under a copyrighted license agreement. A production of We Are One Body Audio Theater.